Welcome to another episode of Urban Life Enabled, Enerhub's podcast for sharing news, views and stories about connecting, activating and measuring urban life in our public places and spaces. My name is Adam Beck and I'll be with you for the next little while as we unpack another topic relevant to enabling urban life. So let's go. In this episode of the Urban Life Enabled podcast, we speak with Lucy Booth, who is founder at Giraffe Technology, a role that she's had for five years. Prior to that, she was CEO at Urban Pinboard and spent almost nine years at Cox Architecture as an urban planner and associate. This is another episode in our Plan Tech series. We hope you enjoy it. Lucy, thanks so much for joining us on the Urban Life Enabled podcast looking forward to this conversation and as one planner to another I am very interested to kick off with a little bit of your journey and your story of your planning career but of course where you are now at Giraffe can can we start there and what type of a synopsis can you share with us about when was it how was it that you sort of evolved your career to where it is now yeah, for sure. Um, thanks so much for having me, Adam. Um, really appreciate the opportunity. I feel like I've had a pretty interesting but consistent journey the last sort of 10 to 15 years. I started as a strategic planner in Sydney, uh, started my work experience job at Cox Architecture and, and didn't leave for 10 years. And I worked on some pretty incredible projects while I was there. So a lot of them were working around um, strategic land use planning, a lot of business cases around um, some of the Sydney metro alignments, uh, a lot of work in Western Sydney too, looking at future land use capacity, you know, road and servicing requirements, urban heating and cooling and, you know, all the, all the things in between that come from that. And greatly enjoyed those projects. Most of them were consulting to state and local government which is always really, you know, interesting because you get some fantastic insight from the government teams as you're working. I think as I worked across a lot of those projects, though, myself and and one of the other co-founders um, at Giraffe, Rob, he and I worked together for many years before we went on this next part of the journey. But one of the observations that I had across a lot of those projects if you sort of drop away a lot of the actual project work and, you know, the really localised context that you're working in, there is often, you know, ten to tens to hundreds of people that touch those projects at any one time, especially when you're looking at business cases. And the people, you know, the data sets, um, the point-in-time analysis that happens and that, that often, you know, never goes beyond that, you know, 2018. And then again in 2020, that same work is done again. That was something that we we found really interesting and that I, kind of really irked me because it means that the fantastic work that one or two teams do together at some point in time gets passed on to the next people in that business case process. And often the data that's being handed over, not often usually, is a PDF and it is, you know, sort of finished at the point that they handed over and it's no longer a living piece of work and evolving. And that next team often has to spend time 
getting back to the base point that's been handed over to them. They're recreating that data in 3D or in GIS or somewhere else. And so the idea of living data sets was something that was really interesting to me. And so one of the really foundational principles of Giraffe was that we did want to create this kind of data model that would allow people to feed into it at different times and, and keep record of all the pieces of work, all the local knowledge, you know, the professional knowledge and the data sets that go into that work. And I guess figuring out how to thread those things together and, and keep them moving as data changes, as teams change, as governments change was something that was, you know, really obvious to me and, and to Giraffe when we first started. So I think, you know, working across those projects really shaped the way that now I look at data, at projects, at cities, at how you thread all of those things together to make a really cohesive, accessible, inclusive city. So Lucy, what I'm hearing there, it was more of a slow burn than a sort of an aha moment at 4pm on a Sunday afternoon kind of situation. Yes, definitely. A lot of watching, looking, trying to change, unsuccessfully changing, um, and then really slowly sort of this concept of giraffe emerging out of out of that work, for so me we, anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if we can sort of unpack the sort of current work you're doing a little bit more, I want to try and find some of the elements, maybe the functionality that you've now built up and sort of the why, but just mm. to sort of break that down for a moment, you have joined the orchestra of sort of platform creators, uh, if I can sort of refer to it in that way. And certainly a very common theme that we see and that we hear is around information management and mm. those core ideas that if we can manage information better, we can make better decisions. So no, no sort of surprises there, but on the platform front, let, let's unpack that. Were there any particular use cases or problems, specific problems that we looking to solve? And so can you take us through that sort of first iteration those early days like what it must have started somewhere you know what was the first killer mm. app so to speak that you you sort of built up yeah sure so I guess the first problem that we tried to address was a pretty simple one and it was threading together two or three of the programs that we use um, in that we you know used at that time in that strategic planning workflow to visualize the precinct that we were doing the land use on and getting some really simple yields so instead of having a file in illustrator some numbers in excel and then maybe some layers in gis that told us which sites were not possible to use we wanted to put them all in one single place. As I change the really simple built form envelopes, I get some numbers. And that essentially was what the first iteration of Giraffe was. You know, it's very simple geometries on a map. So lots of nice little rectangles representing mm. the lots with some 3D height on them. And none of those things are very original. It's just a different way of looking at data. So that was, that was the very first iteration was just trying to make our job easier. <laughs> 
it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But <laughs> as we have found over the years, what seems so simple and logical turns out to be something that either doesn't exist or we've we, we've been challenged to try and make the change necessary. And let me let me just sort of pause there for that sort of first iteration for a moment and come back to you with with sort of a subsequent question. Did you have a specific audience in mind when building this up? Yeah, it's a really good question because it took us quite a long time to find market fit. Like we came out of an architecture background working in architecture firms with a lot of design consultants who we could see trying to utilise simple 3D visualisations but selling into architects and engineers is really hard because they are, you know, project budgets dictate what they, you know, how they spend and what they do at any time. And so our initial audience was actually not who we thought it was. And we found that property developers actually were much keener to, to use this sort of software and this functionality. Thankfully, the more that we've layered up the program with analytics and sort of spatial feedback like solar analysis and wind factor analysis and things like that we've seen a lot more of the planners come to the table but our initial audience of consulting planners and architects who were feeding back information to their clients were were really not the people that wanted to buy our software immediately which yeah it was very interesting iteration to go through trying to retrofit different solutions for different audiences you identified there, Lucy, in that little description around audience constraints and barriers you came up against, like project budgets and how particular projects are managed and procured and things like that. Was there ever, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but was there ever any observations that you made with respect to architects, urban designers, urban planners, being challenged on either the automation or efficiency and use of data to do things better, that sort of idea of plan tech using digital tools and data to transform the planning process, I suppose. Did that come into the fold at all? Were there any observations that you stumbled upon? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot less of it these days, but you know, four, five, six years ago when we were talking about this product and then selling the first versions of it, we would get a lot of pushback from private sector consultants and architects, designers, engineers who didn't really want to innovate or automate because they couldn't understand what their pricing model became and, you know, what, what did it mean for their their large teams of, you know, designers and workers but I think what actually, you know, COVID actually ended up being really good for us because people realised that they had to work, you know, separately in some cases or more collaboratively in others, that they had to actually work more efficiently. They didn't have the same internal resources. So for planners, they couldn't just call their, their GIS team and say, hey, can you do X, Y and Z for me? They often had to figure it out themselves at home. So remote working, I think, actually was really good for us for two reasons because it forced people to try new tools and we were scary new tools so that really helped us but I think the other really interesting thing that's happened 
not just through COVID because yourself and a lot of people in the industry have spent a long time arguing for data, digital literacy, innovation. I think we're sort of seeing user maturity and not just industry maturity anymore. So Mm. naturally people are more interested in using more tools, trying to figure out how they keep up to date with changes and innovation that's happening in the, the planning and design space. So those things converging have really helped us, I guess, get over the hump with some of those, you know, parts of the industry that initially were reckoning with their their charge-out model or their budgeting cycles. And, yeah, we're seeing a lot more adoption now at all levels through businesses. And it's, you know, it's not just tied to project budgets anymore. People are investing in software that's going to not necessarily automate but make more efficient and collaborative decisions which is really fantastic well i'm buoyed by that positive feedback there and your experiences just on that if i can pause on you and and the business can i ask you a question about your observations more broadly with how I would describe, you know, the city making processes and professions these days. You referenced COVID. It certainly, I think, from my perspective, was a very interesting moment in time for digital and data-related happenings, if I can sort of describe it that way. We kind of went online very quickly. We had to embrace a in some instances, a very significant digital transformation that uh, organisations or individuals weren't necessarily sort of ready for. But it also highlighted the importance for cities and communities and practitioners to have access to good data so they could make decisions. And indeed, if there was never an instance of rapid decision-making at times on the fly, those two to three years during COVID certainly demonstrated that. My question, what are your views at the moment over the last sort of three, four, five years on how the city making process, the profession more broadly, investment in technology outside of planning, you know, that helps our cities function better, deliver better services. How how would you just describe it? Have you been in awe? Have you expected it to go the way it has? Are there any sort of observations that you'd, you'd be willing to share more broadly sort of around urban technology and how we as city builders are sort of embracing it? Good question. I think I think there's a couple of parts to it. I think there's a lot of different ways that we're capturing data about people's movements, um, you know, across the city, how they interact with each other, you know, financially, socially, a whole number of things like that. A lot of that data isn't always made public. And I think I'm interested to see if that changes in the next couple of years, because I think it could be a lot of use cases not just in the planning world to understand how people are interacting with each other in the city so I really do hope that those data sets become a bit more public in the future I do think in the planning space one of the one of the problems that we do have at the moment is the proliferation of a lot of different um, software and you know ourselves included at giraffe there's actually so many options 
um, that it, it might be quite overwhelming to figure out what works for the use case that you're looking at. Mm. Um, and so maybe not an observation, but something else that I'm looking to in the future is a lot more interoperability. So, you know, my hope is that not a lot of software wants to gatekeep their file format or, you know, something proprietary so that you get locked into that one program. I think, like, as I said before, the sort of user literacy and maturity is increasing, industry is maturing at the same time too. And so interoperability between different platforms, those sorts of data platforms like Tableau, et cetera, you know, people being able to analyse their work and, and, you know, you could bring AI into that too at some point we're going to need to have much more interoperability in between different platforms, different parts of planning, different parts of society as well. So I think those are things that I'm looking for, maybe not been looking back at necessarily because I don't think they've happened yet. Lucy, does it surprise you? Do you laugh? What reaction do you have when you hear yourself now as a planner technologist, you know, using words like platform interoperability rolling off the tongue. Would you have <laughs> imagined that 10 years ago? No, sitting in a GIS class at UNSW during my planning degree, I would have absolutely laughed at you if you told me that I would own a software business. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and it was a really strange transition and still still is often. I um some days I find myself getting very locked into certain project details or, you know, customer use cases because I just want to think about how they solve that particular problem and I want to get involved in that project rather than talking about product roadmap and sales strategies and things like that. Mm. And so huge learning curve on, I guess, the business and software side. I have learned a lot of the technical side of software but know very little about it, you know, in in most people's um, metrics, I suppose. But I think my the value that I bring to the team and what I would say nearly every single planner could do is bring the practical side. You know, this software is trying to solve for the use cases that I worked on, you know, day in and day out. And so I think a lot of people get worried about jumping into business and this sort of, you know, technical side of it. But at the end of the day, the thing that you're solving for is the thing that you know the most about. So there's so much value that, you know, professionals can bring into this software and startup space, you know, in any industry. It's not it's not planning specific by any stretch. So I think I, every, every you know, a couple of weeks I have to remind myself of that when I feel a bit lost in some of the, the technical product side. I, you know, I'm, I'm not the one that should be solutioning the code that, you know, spits out the functionality or anything but what I can do is tell them what that user needs how they want to use it whether they will understand what that button means etc so yeah it's it's a very interesting transition but definitely not one I regret because I think I can help our users in a much more meaningful way than some of my other team members but you know they can also do some pretty complicated things that I can't in other areas so it all balances out well that's good to hear I'm just going to slip in this question. It's not my last one, but it, it could easily get a sidetrack, but let's see how we go. Lucy, what does the future of planning look like? Can I drop that on you? No, no, it's <laughs> a good question. It's a, it's a really good question. I think, um, oh, I think there's a, there's a lot of different ways it could go. 
something that really rings true for myself and and for giraffe is that wherever it goes you know humans need to sit at the center of it i think it's really exciting to think about different algorithms and scripts and generative design and and all those sorts of things but at the end of the day no matter what those you know innovations spit out humans need to interrogate they need to relate and understand what it means for us all to be living in that reality so there there will be i think a, a really there'll be a lot of tools ours included that do a lot of you know generative design solutioning try and help shape an outcome that you describe that might be manually you draw the roads and we pop up some buildings you know that might be using like some sort of ai chat gpt style thing where you say hey you know give me this sort of outcome and i mean you sort of see a lot of it already on LinkedIn anyway. I don't know how well some of those tools work yet, but I think that that will really change the way a lot of our industry works. I do I do sort of hope that there with that maturity of, you know, building really large 3D data sets very quickly comes more of an element of storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of governments state and local that do some really great work trying to communicate change to their communities but I think I think we can do more we actually had a failed business before giraffe that was about telling stories about projects in cities so helping um, you know residents and community understand what does the building look like what is the impact what are the benefits to them you know what do they what are they giving up to get those benefits and having that conversation in a more meaningful way around a 3d model is something that i still think is incredibly important initiatives like the digital twins that we're seeing across the country and the world very very important but there's a social layer that needs to start being wrapped around that to help people understand how it will really change what are the how many new people how many new cars like oh a new child care and and what will my interactions in my community look like that is something that I really hope hope starts to proliferate, you know, with these pretty extensive digital models that we can create, you know, replicating cities existing and in the future. So that's my hope anyway. Well, that kind of leads to the final question I wanted to ask, which in some way was asking what does the next sort of three-year roadmap look like? You know, history shows that with organizations and platforms in this space that in a year's time, there'll be a whole lot more it can do. What mm. what would you share in terms of those challenges that still remain that you hope that you can help solve or the the use cases we haven't been able to nail yet? What type of additional functionality capability that you could share? So for us specifically, I something that I've sort of got a really personal wish for is to uh, kind of turbocharge our map in terms of terrain. There are not many browser-based products out there on the market that let you draw and run analysis on a very detailed 3D terrain. There are some, but, you know, every every product's got there their downsides I suppose and so helping users um, you know design in real time on the existing terrain in the city and not a flat surface is 
Um, something that I'm hearing a lot from our customers, everyone's sort of like, yes, there's nothing out there that lets me do it, but I really need you to help me do it. Um, mm. And I think, you know, that's a product of us having a small team and being, you know, fortunate enough to talk with our customers every day that we can hear that feedback and act on it. But that's something that I really want to get my head around this year and try and give our users something so that they can understand, you know, overshadowing impacts, accessibility impacts, all that sort of on the ground stuff that changes with terrain and, and not a flat world. I think the other thing that we will have to wrap our heads around, but I think so will every other, you know, piece of software out there is this AI, you know, chat function. Something that we think a lot about is, you know, every group of users that we have has their own sort of private workspace. And sometimes they're putting in a lot of data. They're putting in every property that they own in their portfolio, every asset, or they're mapping every strategic project that they have across a state or a country. And so enabling some sort of chat where they can query their own databases, I think lets them leverage their data, takes me back to that sort of concept of a real live evolving data set. Mm. It's growing. They can constantly query it, ask questions of it, filter it visualize it i'm i think yeah we're pretty excited about this sort of growth of ai and what it might mean for our customers but you know there's only there's a lot of talk about it and probably only one way for us to find out how worthwhile it is and that's to experiment so sort of looking forward to seeing what we could do with that for our users yeah i certainly do find it hard day to day not to sort of trip over some sort of AI related aspiration um, where I would be happy with just some fundamental levels of data literacy first, but that that's, that's the world that we, we sort of operate in at the moment, right? It's very fast paced and there's new things that of course are, are great, but hopefully not at the expense of getting fundamentals sorted and I suppose if I can sort of come back, Lucy, just a, a little sub question in that. Is there anything particular that you see in the next few years being a potential blind spot for us? And when I say us, I just want to talk about the planning community for a moment. I'm constantly thinking about this sort of internet of things um, as I mentioned, some of the telco data, there is already so much data that exists that isn't being used. And I'm, I'm sort of waiting constantly for that to be integrated somehow into this plan tech space. And I do worry about the lost opportunity if it's not done soon, like Sydney specifically, but, you know, every other major city in, in Australia is going to face a massive housing challenge and already is over the next couple of decades, you know, building for the, the kinds of um, densities that we need to house everyone is going to be really hard. And I think some of those data sets that tell us how we're interacting with our cities already should really be being leveraged. So I don't know if it's necessarily a blind spot, but mm-hmm. it feels like a really obvious weakness that is not being addressed yet and and you know there are definitely organizations that are thinking about how to do those things or selling that data for 
you know, pretty expensive sums and that's that's totally fine. They're allowed to do that. But finding some way to understand how we already use cities, the data that's already been captured, I think is something that would be really useful given the challenges we have ahead with housing. Yeah, indeed. Well, look, Lucy, I appreciate those final thoughts you shared and indeed joining us on the podcast for another one of our episodes in the Plan Tech series. It's been fantastic to hear your journey and your story. We really appreciate that and congratulations. I should also say that as well. Um, love hearing how the planning profession and the digital tools that can help us supercharge you know, the the activities and the workflows that sit behind so many fundamental parts of city building and community building. And um, we're, we're lucky to have folks like you. So Lucy, thanks so much again for joining us on the Urban Life Enabled podcast. My pleasure, Adam. Thank you for your time. Well, we hope you like this episode of Urban Life Enabled. Remember, if you'd like to subscribe, head to your favorite podcast platform. You'll find us there. Just search for Urban Life Enabled. You can also head along to our website to listen to all of our episodes and also find out more information about Life Enabled. Just head to the website lifeenabled.com. There's a hyphen between life and enabled. Thanks for joining us.